The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the perch, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be ever right in your sight. O Lord, our Savior and Redeemer. Amen. Have a seat, everyone. There we go. This is so you can hear me better. Now, I want... I just want to start my sermon with a short story about a part of my life that, that um, you may not know about. So I, I served in the Navy for 39 years. I was, a, I was a naval engineer. And in 1997, the Navy moved me to the UK, and I worked in a city called Bath for five years. Now, I thought that was a great opportunity I'm moving to a foreign country, I'm going to see all this wonderful stuff, and not only that, they still speak English. Right? What a surprise. They might speak the same words, but I tell you, the language and the comprehension was, was very difficult. So my, my, my experience was, it took me about six to eight months to figure out British humor. There were some things that I would say that people would stop in their tracks and look at me with like, what are you talking about? And the one that I remember is that in Britain, these are not pants. These are trousers. Pants are what you wear underneath trousers. <laughs> so when you're in a formal dinner talking about, oh, I spilled something on my pants. <laughs> anyway, so I just want to say that 
like, I never really integrated into British culture. But I think the gospel reading is a bit like my experience in Britain. We think we understand it, what's read. But the meaning really eludes us because we don't appreciate the cultural context of what the gospel, um, where the gospel was written and how it was first understood. Because it is a difficult text to understand, at least for us in the West, with some of the assumptions and paradigms we work with. So I think we have some work cut out for us today to figure out what this gospel text has to say to us. Now, you could imagine, or at least I could imagine, a modern take on this story, or what I think is a modern take on this story. So you have a bank manager. He's about to get fired because he's been cheating the bank, because he doesn't want to do manual work or receive charity. He goes around to all the people who owe the bank money and reduces their debts. And then they'll owe him after he loses his job. We don't really expect the bank president to come down and congratulate the manager for being shrewd with the bank's money. And that's where the parable is confusing. It turns things around. Like, it doesn't make sense. Why is this manager being complimented for being shrewd? And we know that the Bible is consistent. Okay, The words of the Bible, they're internally consistent. So when something like that just doesn't sound right, it's probably because of something that we've put in to the interpretation of that scripture that's incorrect. And what I want to do is challenge you to understand maybe what the first century audience hearing this text might have understood and taken away from it, and what we can take away from it knowing that. So we're going to learn in this parable that the manager demonstrates an important point about a proper relationship to wealth. That's what this parable is actually all about. So let's look at it again with a critical eye and a first century lens. Because Jesus is not going to be complimenting a manager for being shrewd. If the manager is doing something that's contrary to kingdom values. So first of all, when you read this parable, you don't hear any words anywhere that the manager was squandering his master's wealth or acting dishonestly. There were charges by people brought to the rich um, owner, but the manager, they're not his words. So we heard an accusation that the manager's dishonest. And we observe that as a result, the manager has lowered debts, written off part of the debts to the rich landowner. And we just assume that by doing that, and because he did that, that the manager's dishonest. That's not actually what's happened. So the accusation against the manager probably came from one of the debtors or people in the community. You see, the manager was in an interesting situation. The manager is uh, in between the rich landowner and the people that either 
pay rent for the land or they basically owe the rich landowner something. So the manager is in between. And he doesn't get paid by the landowner for his services. He's expected to get a commission for his work from the transactions that occur between the debtors and the, and the owner. Kind of like the way the Roman tax collectors work, or may I say, a car sale, right? And you know how much people like tax collectors and car salesmen, right? They're the subject of lots of jokes. Well, the manager is in the same situation, has a lot of power, in, in a sense, um, and a lot of authority given by the manager, but he's actually in a very vulnerable situation, very vulnerable position. If the transaction doesn't take place, or if, if there's distrust between different parties, then the manager, the person that's trying to make all these things happen, is the one that takes the fall. So they've got to keep that in mind. Now, people in ancient times did not work and live under the assumptions we live under today. So today we believe in this illusion of, well, I'd say illusion, we believe in this idea of progress and that we can create wealth, that our society will constantly be growing, constantly growing. Well, they didn't work and live under that assumption in the first century. They believed that everything that was, was already there. It was fixed. Fixed amount of wealth, fixed amount of honor, fixed amount of anything. And if one person had a lot, that meant someone else didn't have any. And that when someone took too much, then they're stealing from someone else. So that it's not the same way we look at our society today. So it's very important in these transactions that if you're going to have a just society and a just economic system, that you don't overcharge people for the goods and services that are being provided. That's another thing that's important to know. And the other thing is that it, this, it wasn't a society based on money. Much like um, um, probably within many families, it's not, it's not how much you have or the possessions that you have that establish your status. Okay? It's other things. Well, in the first century, the way that people established their status was something called honor. And if you had honor, your status in society rose. If you were shamed or somehow your honor was reduced, your status lowered. So it wasn't linked to money the way we might want money. So in this parable, we've got to remember that there's this whole question of who is gaining honor in this situation as well. So that's another factor that we don't consider in our 20th century or 21st century lens. So an honorable man in the first century Palestine would be interested in what was rightfully his. And he would have no desire to gain anything more than what he honestly deserved. He wouldn't want to be taking more than that. He wouldn't want to be doing that because it would be seen as unjust. And, and, and that goes not only with, with for rents would be anything that this rich landowner had. He, society would expect him only to take what, what he needs in order for the system to function. Now, that's not saying that this economic system is good. In fact, it was, it was very bad because it was very easy for people to oppress other people and to, and to use their power and authority to get more than they deserved. Okay? You, you have tax collectors that 
like the Roman government expected one denarii from someone, and if you could squeeze out five, then you got to keep four. The system was not fair, and it was not just. That's the kind of economic system that this parable is speaking about. Now, while the manager has great power and authority, very vulnerable, very vulnerable, and he's stuck in the middle. That's why he's worried. If he can't, if he can't have his place in the middle, trying to broker between the people that do the work and the people that own everything, he's not able to do the work because he's, he's a manager and he doesn't have enough wealth to be the landowner. So he's, he would be out of work and no place and no way to support his family. So the manager, as we learn in the parable, had the authority to negotiate his master's contracts. Now, Mosaic law forbid Jewish people from charging interest. They, they called it usury. And that's the way that, that the system would have worked back then, is the master had the land, the workers rented from the master, and they paid him back in produce, like the oil and the wheat. And in order to use that land and to get a benefit from it, instead of charging interest, they just added a little bit more on what, what had to be provided back to the master in the end. So if you, if you owed the master 100 liters of oil, then you needed to pay him 200 liters because they had to write in a, a little profit there for the, for the owner. So that's, that, that number is large. The interest is large. On top of that, you've got the commission from the manager, which is also large. So you can see that the system has huge amounts of ability to, to be corrupted. So when he's accused of being dishonest, the manager is left without a lot of options, and, but he takes immediate action. So rather than face death by digging or begging, he does something radical. And we shouldn't accept his actions as refusing to accept honest work um, because the dismissal, like I said, he's the middleman. It's a potential death sentence. He can't work. He doesn't have enough money to get other people to work for him. And he's just not going to be able to compete in that society. So he's, he's really in a tough place. So by confronting his master's debtors and forgiving enormous portions of their debts, actually... He's exposing the debts for what they are, an unjust economic system. He, when he is forgiving the debts, the master's still getting what he needs. What, what's happening is all of those interest payments, maybe some of the commission of the master, is not being made. So there's a potential here that the master could be sucked into this accusation that's made that the manager is dishonest. So he's got to be careful about what his manager is doing. So the manager of the unjust system uses his authority to try to sort things out. It's a blessing to the oppressors. It's a blessing to the to the master because he saves the master the potential of, of dishonor by being exposed as 
charging too much interest on his, on his land um, and the produce from it. So while the master may have lost a little bit of wealth, what the manager's done is deal with this complaint about the whole system, about this economic system that's going on. And the master used a little bit of, the, the manager used a little bit of the master's wealth, maybe some of his commission, whatever, to try to deal with that situation. So the actions of the master please the debtors, who now owe the master less. The master took pride in the shrewdness of the manager because the problem, the accusation, goes away. He's not going to be rolled in with it. It's, it, survives, it survives a potential scandal. And the master can now retain it. No doubt, eventually finding a way to get a way to recover his temporary monetary loss. <coughs> what Jesus was commending was the manager's practical wisdom, how he took the opportunity to fight against the unjust economic system using his resources, his commission, you could say, to secure his future. Now, this crazy economic system I'm talking about should lead us to reflect on our modern capitalist system we live under right now. It's not always perfect either. We have our rich, we have our 1%, the uber rich, we have our poor, and we have our very poor. And we have people caught in between. And most of us are probably like the manager. We live in a system that's far from perfect. And I'm sure many of us may even consider ourselves to be somewhat vulnerable in this system. But as members of the church, we stand in this uneasy place of being of the world, or sorry, in the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. And we need to take our lead from Jesus when he says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Now, dishonest wealth. Simply put, it's wealth that comes from this dishonest and unjust and ungodly economic system. It's not that the wealth itself is obtained individually dishonestly, but the system itself creates this dishonest wealth. Read or watch the news. There's a vast difference between the wealth of developed and, unde and undeveloped world. There's a vast difference of wealth between the very rich in our society and the very poor. And I would say, our parable today would see that difference between countries and between individuals, even between regions of our country, as dishonest. And how many other things that we experience in our local community or see in Canada or in the world would fall into that definition? Well, I just caution you not to get stuck on the word dishonest. It's not good or bad. It's just a product of the unjust economic system. The parable identifies our relationship with that wealth as what's important. What Jesus is saying is that if we're not faithful with the dishonest wealth of this dishonest system, using it for the purposes of the kingdom, who will entrust us with the true riches of the kingdom? Are we using what we have for the kingdom of God, for a more just and loving world, or are we using it for ourselves? And that choice has repercussions. 
It has repercussions for the people around us and for the people that come after us. It has repercussions for the kingdom of God. And we should take our lead from Jesus and be like the radical manager. What are our resources? Our time, our talent, and our money. And how should we use them? Do we use them for the glory of God, for the benefit of others, or simply for ourselves? The parable encourages us to use our wealth to engage in a bit of work on behalf of God's kingdom. Advocate for the disadvantaged. Make a difference to those who are poor on society's fringes. Seek justice by opposing the unfair practices of those with power. Don't participate in systems that continue oppression. Wherever we are on the economic ladder, we have a responsibility to act for God's kingdom. What shape will that action be in your life? The parable doesn't offer us a middle ground. You can't serve God 